You're listening to Legends Cast, a podcast about the cards, the meta, and the community of Legends of Runeterra. This episode is supported by listeners like you. To become a supporter of Legends Cast, visit patreon.com slash legendscast. Let's do this. Hello and welcome to Legends Cast, a podcast about the cards, the meta, and the community of the Legends of Runeterra. My name is Mark or the Lift from outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and I am one of your hosts. With me tonight is my always faithful and legendary co-host, Dead Broke Nerd. Dead Broke Nerd, how are you doing tonight? Uh, doing good, man. Doing good. It's been a... Uh... Actually, a pretty cool week in Runeterra, in my opinion. I've been getting pretty hyped uh, for all the new stuff coming out, the patch, which we'll talk about. But uh, also just actually had a ton of fun playing myself. Um, got to actually play a little bit more with my dad, which was cool. So it's just a good week, man. Good week of Runeterra. Lots to look forward to. Absolutely. And if you are listening in, we're just going to tell you at the front um, there is a lot of people using the internet these days, and there's a lot of people using Discord right now. Therefore, my voice to DBN right now sounds like hot trash, and his voice to me doesn't sound ideal either. Unfortunately, I am the one recording, so you'll hear my voice clearly, and you're going to have to endure some audio glitches from his end. Simply, be, And it's not that his computer's messed up or his internet's bad. It's just like the burden that is on everything right now because of if you're listening to this later in the future this is in the middle of the COVID-19 crisis so the burden that's on the internet right now is serious and so I I said before the show started every aspect of our lives is being touched by COVID-19 including the audio quality of your favorite podcast so I'm sorry I just can't do anything about that in fact may have just lost the oh he was he was gone and now he's back I was trying, I was seeing if uh, I could reset the connection and boost it for a little bit, but we'll see. Well, we'll see. Well, you know what? We can only do what we can do. And sometimes technology works, sometimes it doesn't. But listen, man, we got a lot of stuff to talk about tonight because, like you said, there was a patch, lots of card changes, one of your favorite cards. Um, And on top of that, we have two new sets of cards to talk about um, that come out from two new regions. Well, not new regions, but two regions. And so we have a lot of stuff to review. But before we get into that, tell me about your week in Runeterra. Yeah, okay. So basically, I played a good amount last week um, after we recorded the podcast. Um, Played some over the weekend as well. In fact, actually, um, on Easter, I decided... Uh, you know what? Let's play a little bit of ranked. I uh, haven't done that in a long time. Uh, and I just kind of cruised through silver up to gold in on Easter morning. So that was nice. I don't think I lost but a couple games. Uh, so nice. <laughs> I was like silver, silver four or whatever. Uh, because the last time I really played uh, was I was just kind of memeing at, uh, at silver four. And so I said, all right, I'll play a meta deck. And then I like I said, I played, um, also I ended up playing a, a Noxus, Piltover's on aggro that people are probably pretty familiar with, a very blitzy, you know, burn focused aggro. Um, but I play mine with Draven and Teemo. I don't run Jinx. Um, Interesting. I actually think, yeah, I actually think Jinx is not 
maybe for my play style. But I actually think Jinx is a bit of a trap card in that deck because of its price point at four. Um, and because ideally, like, your last couple cards you're playing are melting their last couple points of health. Uh, and so despite having played Jinx for a long time, I was always disappointed when I had it in my hand. Uh, so I cut the Jinxes, I've got Teemos and Dravens in there, and I'm much, much happier with how the deck is performing. Um, but again, that might just be playstyle. I do like it. I mean, my, my variant is not that far off from what I think a lot of other people are playing. It's actually a lot closer to Charmers, um, just with Draven instead of Jinx, because I think he went Jinx Teemo. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It's... I mean, the Teemo, the, the Teemo has been around, right? Like, it's certainly been experimented with in some of the aggressive decks that are running Pultover and Zon. Um, mm. I think just because it's a one mana, one, one elusive that sometimes deals extra damage because sometimes you can get some, uh, get some stuff in their, uh, in their deck, you get some mushrooms in their deck and they can pull a couple of those. So sometimes it, you know, might come out to a two, one or a three, two, three, one, when all is said and done. So it, and it's elusive, it's not easy to get rid of. And it does, people do want to target it removal because if it levels up, man, it can snowball. Yeah, well, and the other thing with that, too, is that it, it because it's elusive, even if, you know, the puff caps aren't likely to do a ton of damage in that game because the game won't last very long, the bigger thing is that it can receive Brothers Bond buffs or, you know, Might, which I yes. run two copies of Might in mine, and Might is, like, the game winner. Um, and so, yeah, I, I played that, and I barely lost at all. Worked my way up to gold on, on Easter. Uh <laughs> And then went and, you know, hung out with the fam. <laughs> but uh, we did... Uh, I also played some War Mother's Call. Yes. Which is uh -huh. really fun. War Mother Control. Very, very fun. Um, and I played a very greedy build that I saw uh, on Silverfuse's channel. Uh, and in fact, actually, I only started doing that because I was hanging out with my dad and kind of showing him some of this cool stuff in Runeterra. Uh, I think I told you guys about that a week or two ago. And um, he's been really enjoying it. Um, and uh, he was looking at, you know, he had built uh, a couple like small things, but he was looking to, he had stocked up a bunch of wild cards and stuff and wanted to build a cool like, meta deck or at least semi meta deck, competitive one. And I was like, okay, well, like, what do you got? And he had so much frail yard, it wasn't even funny. Uh, wow. And I was like, okay, I don't know how your, how your collection got so heavily dedicated to frail yard, but it's working. Uh, let's go ahead and build you some cool Frailyord control decks. So we built the War Mothers uh, one with Shadow Isles. We did another Shadow Isles one where we had a, a kind of an Elise, was it Harrowing package? Uh, and then also did like a Freeze build with Ash. And so, I mean, it was it was really fun. But the War Mother one looked so cool when we were building it. I was like, uh, all right, let me, let me mess around with this. And I tell you what, that thing is super fun to play must not be fun to play against and i personally i mean usually by the time they get a couple of their removals off uh i'm i'm like all right i'm tapped out i don't want to you know <laughs> I, this I can is gonna be this a long going. this is gonna be a long yeah, I, agonizing experience you know, once, once the war mother yeah once war mother's call bleeds your hand you're like okay you know my odds of winning this are exceptionally low so we're just gonna go ahead and call it so i never actually get warm up this call played against me very often but i'll tell you what once you get it once you get it down that thing is hilarious love it i have, uh, so I have never actually played that card 
Really? I have copies of it. I've never experimented with it. Mm -mm. You would oh, think I would fun, have because I think it would be a fun card. Well, from what I understand, uh, I think Saucy Mailman uh, plays it in like every variation of it. Oh, uh, just tons of different variations, if I remember correctly. But uh, yeah, no, it's it's really a, it's a blast, and uh, so I, I got to got to play with that a bit. And you know, really, the more important thing for this week was just looking at all the new cards and kind of speculating about them and um, chatting about them with people. So. Yeah, I had a, I had a, honestly, this was probably one of my most enjoyable weeks in, uh, in Runeterra. And I got my chest leveled up to like 11. Nice. So yeah, I've clearly I played nice. a good amount. Yeah. Well, I had a, I had a great week in Runeterra. Um, I definitely, I, I've, I've finally got to the point. So th there was two really cool things that happened this week and I will leave it at that. The first one was that I now have at least one copy of every card in the game. With the exception of Vlad, uh -huh. with the exception of Vlad, which I could craft at any time because I think I have like eight or nine champion wild cards at this point. Oh, um, and so and I have three copies of every uncommon card in the game at this point. So uh, it, that's cool. So like I, I made a milestone there in collection. And to be honest with you, as a card game player, collection is something that I am just excited about. But I like collecting. So that's that's really cool for me. And I'm actually going to talk about that next episode because I want to talk a little bit about what the release day for the new expansion is going to look like because it will be strange. I have been used to opening packs of cards on release day of a new expansion for literally probably 20 years. I have been opening yeah. packs on whatever game I was playing, whether that was Pokemon, whether it was Yu-Gi-Oh, whether it was MTG, whether that was Hearthstone, Elder Scrolls Legends. I have looked forward to busting open packs and collecting a bunch of cards and going and playing with them. And now I'm just going to be taking a stack of dust and a stack of wild cards in and crafting. It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. So I want to talk about that I, but I next will week. Say, well, that, that is interesting too, because I had not thought about that, but you're right. Like there is something visceral about opening packs absolutely and make gets you really hype but i i have to be honest too as somebody who's gone through a lot of launch days i find myself very rarely playing the game on launch day i tend to open a bunch of packs and then spend a long time just kind of looking at all the cards you know tinkering around with decks and stuff yeah. you know in the deck builder but i very rarely play and perhaps that's one of the maybe hidden benefits of this is yeah we don't get that massive you know release of chemicals in the brain from opening packs but so we fun. might actually yeah, it is it is fun but we might actually find ourselves playing with those cards like much quicker you know okay yeah. craft them up get started playing yeah you know yeah or go in and choose uh you know when okay uh, it's gonna be next week the other exciting thing was i played my expedition this week and I had a Karma Hemendinger Heimer expedition. And so I got Karma to max level and she, and I had in my deck, um, uh, I had, uh, what was the card that I had? Oh, the cat card. What's the one that summons the 30, 30 oh, cat? Oh, Pursuit of Perfection. Pursuit of Perfection. I had the cat card, Pursuit of Perfection in my deck. I had summoned enough cards with, that uh, that I activated it with Karma, and then Karma was leveled up, and I got to play it and double it for two thirty thirty cats. Yes, in in the arena or in the uh, in the expedition. So that was really cool. And and thirdly, just a small note, I got a seven win expedition today. 
um, with the deck, which is always fun to get a seven win expedition. You know, it gave me a couple of epics and that was cool to add a couple. It's a little less exciting than getting a couple of legendaries because you get more of those now in your in your chest, guaranteed in your chest each week. But it was still a lot of fun to be able to do that. So, um, yeah, so that was that was my week in Runeterra. I played a couple of expeditions and if actually kind of enjoyed the expeditions in this game more than I thought that I would, um, I, more than I have in any other game. Um, so yeah, so I, I've definitely enjoyed the expeditions in this game and, and I, I played a couple of decks, uh, played around with a couple of decks. Um, nothing like too significant. I went back to sort of the Noxus frail Yord Ash reckoning deck that we had talked with, um, uh, who'd we talk? Oh, Charmer. We talked with Charmer about mm-hmm. that deck sort of towards the end of that episode. And uh, I went back to that deck and I just think, honestly, it's not even so much the combination, although I do like the combination. I think they work well together. Um, I think it's just the fact that Ash is my favorite champion. Like out of all the champions in the game, I think Ash is my favorite. And so I just, I get a lot of joy from making her work. I think she fits my play style really well. And, um, so I, I just really like Ash, definitely probably my favorite, my favorite thing to, to play. So, um, yeah, so that was, that was my week in Runeterra. And other than that, also kind of, you know, anticipating and looking for new cards. We're about to hit probably in the next day or so, we're going to hit the new champion that's going to be releasing for Noxus, but we did get a couple of new champs and some new cards that we're going to look at today. Um, which is, which is really exciting and some interesting new stuff that they're adding to the game which may not be exciting for me, but we'll talk about that whenever we get to it. Um, I don't know. Anything else you want to talk about in your week uh, before we go? I mean, we don't really have a tremendous amount of time for banter this week. Unfortunately, we can't. No, I do feel like we should just jump right in because there's a lot to cover and I do want to cover it all. Yes. Yeah, I do too. Okay. So let's go ahead and dig into the news. Okay, so patch 0.9.4 came out with a bunch of card buffs and a handful of card nerfs, although more card buffs than nerfs. So Riot has continued to stay good on their promise as continually going back, updating, and changing their cards. They are changing them much swifter than previous. We've heard some people who've sort of been against that, like, oh, they're changing them too fast. They don't know what they're doing. Um, but I like the the sort of... Uh, the the desire to go in and change things frequently knowing that they're going to pretty consistently change and shift the meta every couple of weeks. And it's cool. Cause I know that we're not going to be stuck with the same meta all the time for months at a time, but I want to give a quick shout out to saucy mailman um, because this came from saucy mailman. He did go ahead and throw this up inside of our discord, which was just sort of like an outlay for all of the, all of the different cards that got changed um, and you can find him over at youtube.com slash saucy mailman. So there's a little shout out for him. So thanks for doing that, man. Um, let's go over some of these cards and uh, I'll, I'll start and then you can, you can jump onto the next champ. So we have five champions that have been updated. The first one is Draven. So Draven is of course the Noxus champion, three minute, three, three that summons the spinning axis. It originally said I've struck twice with a spinning ax. And now it says I struck with two total spinning axe which basically means before you had to go through two attack phases in order to level up draven now if you have for some reason two axes in hand um you are able well two two strikes not necessarily two attack phases but two strikes because you could you know use his uh his his spell replacement card to get an extra strike in but if you can get two axes in hand and strike with both of those axes at the same time you can level him up right then and there 
Mm-hmm. It makes him more powerful. I'm not sure if it makes him a lot. I really have not known what to think about this adjustment. I'm like, okay, sure. I mean, I don't, yeah. it's fine. What did, what did, no, yeah, this is a, definitely an upgrade, but all it does, and I don't think it drastically shifts Draven's power, but I do think it does is allow you to get Draven upgraded uh, quicker overall. Because theoretically, in an optimal situation, you're able to get him upgraded in the same amount of time um, both ways, which is in two attacks. The first uh, generates your second spinning axe, because of course you get one when you play him. Um, and then so you'll attack once with the spinning axe that you created upon play. Uh, hopefully he survives the attack, survives the next round. He attacks again, or maybe chump blocks uh, and defends with the second spinning axe. Now, here's the problem with that. In the typical situation that you're playing him in, you're not always wanting to discard a card uh, when you immediately when you get that axe. Sometimes you get that axe and you're like, "Well, I cannot discard, you know, this other card. I need to play that next turn." Um, so you end up hoarding them, right, and combining them uh, later by saying, "Okay, I've got three axes. I'm going to use the first axe to discard one of my other axes." Um, yeah. But what that allows you to do is, the longer you wait to play your spinning axe it basically adds an additional attack that you're going to need to make with Draven. Now you can stockpile the axes and still get him upgraded in one attack by playing two at once. It doesn't push that, that, you know, time to level up further. Um, And so this is definitely going to be better for allowing Draven to see play uh, in a wider range of decks that aren't just beat face aggro. Now Mm -hmm. I still think that's where Draven is going to be the best. Oh yeah, for Um, sure. But I think that, like, if in the same way that we can uh, possibly see, like, Fiora going in decks as a just a value three drop, we can see Draven going in decks as a value three drop in a mid range build that can sometimes benefit from having spinning axes to put on other creatures to um, trick a trade here and there. Uh, but also, this allows him to level up a little bit quicker if you're stockpiling those axes for specific reasons instead of just slamming them as soon as you get them. I think it's a good change. Yeah. The other thing I think that's important to point out is you could play your first Draven, summon him, put an axe in your hand. Your opponent can remove him. When you play your second Draven, puts a second axe in your hand. You now have two axes. You don't have to go through two attack phases. Once again, it, it, it it's the same, right? It makes him be able to level up faster, but it also benefits you if you have more than one Draven in hand and they remove the first one and you have that, have that axe stockpiled ready to go for your next Draven. Um, which I think is, you know, I ultimately, right, it makes Draven a little bit more versatile, a little bit easier to level up, maybe a little bit faster. I don't know that it's a like, oh my gosh, Draven's going to destroy well, us now. But And I don't think Draven's upgrade is so strong that up making him, allowing him to upgrade faster is that big of a deal. No, what, he gets two you know spinning I mean? axes, right? Yeah, upon strike or play, he gets two spinning axes uh, for the next one. So, like, it, it's not like... So like with Yasuo, if you the, if you speed up how long it takes Yasuo to level up, you're definitely shifting the power level of the card in terms of, you know, the enabling that, oh, yes. you know, he's allowed to do. I mean, he, he is a very punishing build around card. Draven is not truly a build around card as much as it is a facilitator for certain strategies. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, like he's an aggressive card. He can buff other things, but, you know, and he can support the discard package, but it's not truly a win condition the way like Yasuo or Kalista or Trendemir. Um, Trendemir or Heimerdinger are. 
Yeah. You know, I think it's also important to note that I think that the most effective that I've ever seen Draven used is choosing not to level him up, but running him in a discard package where you actually want to discard and rummage away your axes. So you get the spinning yeah. axes in your hand because and you because you want to discard them. There's zero cost cards that you got for free, which basically made your, you know, your two mana four three discard a card, a two mana four three without having to right. discard a card because jet draven generated it and you just just draven is a three minute three three with quick quick attack that applies pressure and then the axes that he generates you just use those to discard stuff so oftentimes draven is most useful when you do not level him up you just use his card generation as a as a way to discard things that you so you don't have to discard other good stuff yeah um so i think that's important too because it oftentimes it isn't that draven leveled up against me that i'm upset about it's that draven put cards in your hand that you were able to get rid of with rummage and dig further in your deck for more damage you know so exactly yeah for sure okay you want to tell us about this next one yeah my boy yasuo he got the buff that we all dreamed of um i'd complained for the last couple of weeks i mean not really complained but just sort of stated maybe even the obvious which is that yasuo while being really fun and a cool win condition card uh is really struggling because he is too easy to kill um at three defense he gets killed by um a challenger fiora he gets killed by uh, get excited and black spear uh, so the bottom line is i said yasuo just needs one more defense mm-hmm. and i think he'll be in a good spot it'll be easier to kind of keep him around long enough to get the value out of him that you need um you know and and you can play him on curve now and not worry he's just going to get immediately killed because the thing about yasuo decks is without yasuo you don't usually win the game um so the good news is hey yasuo is way more survivable um with the plus one defense buff that he did receive i feel pretty good about calling it not that it was a particularly difficult call (laughs) Uh, because I think it was obvious like that's the thing that he needs is he needs to not get killed by so many things he dodges some of those removal points now uh, so it just takes a little bit more to knock this guy down which is great the cool thing is they also buffed his defense at the upgraded level as well yep so now at his uh, upgrade he has one more defense honestly there's really not much to say that I that I haven't already said uh, either just now or or in the past but um, Yasuo decks who knows? Maybe we'll see a comeback. I know I'm going to be playing with them quite a bit. This is going to make me check out Yasuodex. I will say this. Losing to Yasuodex feels very bad because um, it feels like they just had the answers and you were never able to do anything. And then they killed your whole board with Yas, um, mm-hmm. which is oft- oftentimes why I play so much. Why I was playing so much failure when Yasuo was popular towards the beginning for a little while, um, at least at the lower ranks. Um, I actually encouraged Yasuo to level up because then he deals damage, he strikes stuff, and if you can just freeze him and give him zero attack, his strikes do nothing. And I was actually got into Freljord because of playing against him, but I think this is going to cause me, I do have three of them, I think this is going to cause me to experiment with a couple of decks because he is such a very cool card. And I, I really do think that this slight buff of one health is more than a slight buff. It might be the most significant buff of everything that they put out here. Yeah, straightforward, but exceptionally significant. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, I mean, anytime they mess around with the health and the power of a card, it it has a dramatic impact on the game. I think health uh, is the most important. E- yes. Yeah. Health and cost. 
I don't think attack power is as important as anything else. Like attack power is less important than what it survives against. Mm -hmm. uh, And also how much it costs. But we'll see. (laughs) I mean, still relevant. Maybe Riot will change our minds on what is good and not good when it comes to cards because they have been willing to not just um, buff and nerf cards. They've been willing to literally completely rework them. Um, So... You know, they may show us that reworking them is the way to go, um, which is the case with our next card. So Callista already had a rework in which she moved from something else to basically um, she sees a certain amount of allies die. Then when she attacks, she summons the highest cost ally that was in your graveyard that had died this game, basically. Um, And they come onto the board attacking. Um, I'm like 90% sure about that. Anyway, it doesn't matter what her upgraded form is because it's her lower her unupgraded form or her unleveled up form that they changed. She's the same exact card, the three mana four, three with fearsome, except now she levels up when she's just seen three allies die instead of seeing four allies die, which once again is just a straight buff to Callista. And I was really excited about Callista when they got the first re when they did the rework, they just weren't maybe, maybe they were cautious in it. They weren't quite heavy-handed enough to force her into much a lot of people experimented with her without too much success i still don't know that this makes her overly successful but it it, she is a a very cool card and i i want to now experiment with her a little bit more because i have a copy or two of her because i think that she does get i mean obviously she just gets straight up more powerful from this well so i played Callista in an expedition run and uh, obliterated seven wins. Oh, wow. Callista's very strong in Expedition, in my opinion, if you build around her, uh, because there's going to be less removal that your opponent's going to have to kill her. So again, she suffers from the same thing Yasuo formerly suffered from, which is having three defense. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, having three defense is rough in this game. Now, it wasn't quite as bad because Callista is supplementary and Yasuo is a entire win condition sure yeah, he's right? so built around yeah and Callista can be a win condition card from my experience mostly because once she's leveled up um she will never take damage while attacking like the, you'll never be able to kill her while she's attacking uh from trading Sure. Because the damage goes over to whatever she's linked with. Um, so it's really easy to protect her and continually apply pressure with whatever she summons. Um, so uh, she's not like Thresh, right? Thresh does it like once and he's done. Callisto can keep summoning. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, but the cool thing here that I'm interested in most is I've seen three allies die compared to four. I mean, I know it's an a interval of one. It's you know, she it's from four to three, but that's uh 25% less cards have to die, or less allies have to die for her to level up. And also interestingly, I believe there is a ephemeral card that summons three one one ephemerals. Am I wrong on that? Wait, what was that? Isn't there a Shadow Isles card that summons a spell that summons three one one ephemerals? Absolutely, yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, so I can just play that with Callista. I think that card costs two. Mm-mm, yes, I think so. Uh, so for five mana or three mana with two spell mana, I can just instantly upgrade Callista. Now, granted, yeah, in the grave is only going to be some one ones, but you know what? When Callista swings and summons that one one, and that one one takes all the damage for Callista, I think that's pretty good. Uh, plus, of course, throughout the game, you'll 
she might die. You'll draw a second leveled up Callista. I'm just saying, I think Callista might be ready for a uh, ready for the big stage here. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, she's making me want to play her in. I think I'm going to experiment with a um, a spider's a, a lease Callista mono mono uh, themed Shadow Isles Shadow Isles a fearsome and and uh, specters deck. Yeah, Mistwraith. Yeah, and just see if yeah. you can play like a really strong, just super aggressive fearsome deck with uh, Callista and Elise. Because even if you're summoning, right? Let's say I'm pulling out Mistwraith. Even if even if what you're pulling out of the graveyard with her isn't big, you keep doing it. So who cares? So you pull out, right. you keep pulling out Mistwraiths, even if that's some of your more expensive stuff. Um, be interesting to see like with Callista if they generate a way for you to mill some of your cards in well we might get that um which uh like so let's say i could get like a vile uh whatever not vile feast it's but he's the five five the skitterer or whatever um yeah, a, yeah, yeah. a five five that costs 10 mm -hmm. and he's sitting in in your dead graveyard because you burnt him off your deck or you discarded him from your hand right and then mm -hmm. she could just summon five five with fearsomes um that would be pretty cool so i think that there's opportunity i think that there's opportunity there um, you want to take us through well, this? You know, oh, go ahead. Well, you know what's interesting there is that um, I actually played the three mana Shadow Isles spell, like uh, the Vile Maw one mm -hmm. that summons the six six. Uh, if so, it's like if three creatures, three allies have died this turn, summon a uh like a six six fearsome or something crazy. Yep, absolutely. Um, that thing again now just like Callista now does perfectly pairs with that. I think it's unleashed spirits is the name of the card. Um, yeah, I can, I can um, look it up here. Yeah. So I, I can almost see, I can almost see like a blend between spiders and ephemerals to make sure you're getting enough things dead on a consistent basis to activate things like the vile maw one. Um, it is haunted relic haunted relic. And it is three spirits, right? Uh, yeah, it is a two-mana summon three Unleashed Spirits. All spirits are 1-1 one, one Ephemerals. And what's nice there, too, is that's not as bad it's, uh, That's not as bad on defense um, because you're just, you can just summon the chump blockers. Like, yeah, they're Ephemeral, but like that, that's a lot of chump blockers. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so I, I can, I'm honestly thinking of playing around with that uh, soon, too. But I do like the idea of making it mono-colored. Uh, so I think Shadow Isles is just naturally very very strong with mono colors i think i've expressed this before but mostly because their different packages blend together very well as opposed to different packages within other factions but uh, absolutely yeah let's go over to katarina now mm -hmm. so we've got katarina and this one actually intrigued me quite a bit because i don't care for katarina too much um even though i like noxus uh, mostly because katarina literally always gets mystic shotted yes yeah, she every does. single time i play her like every single time I play Katarina, instant Mystic Shot. Like it, it, so I just stopped playing her because it was a waste of mana, a waste of tempo. Um, and I stand by that decision. However, it is awful tempting now uh, because what she does now is say um, it's exactly the same, uh, but when you play her, you get a fleeting, and I can't read it, but it's the one mana... Fleeting deal one blades damage to edge. Blades Edge, that's it. Uh, deal one damage to anything. Mm -hmm. And uh, just picking up an ephemeral removal, uh, removal 
like that's got me interested uh because think about like i mean we you get the same thing where ezreal attacks and you get a fleeting mystic shot Mm-hmm. Uh, but think about all the situations where you've got spell mana, but you know you need to set up a trade so that with her quick attack, she actually kills something and doesn't get killed. Yep. Mm-hmm. Right. And this kind of effectively says, hey, if you've got the mana, you have this flexible one damage to throw anywhere you want, including helping her trade up into something that somebody blocked with. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, I think this is a really you know very useful change that also gives the player who's using Katarina a lot more uh, agency uh, because they've got that extra element floating around when they play her. Sometimes you might just want to play her for the blade's edge that she creates. Yeah, because you just needed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so like I can really see this being a change that could float like one Katarina uh, into a couple decks. I still don't see the value of running two or even three Katarinas necessarily. Because once you've got one in hand, and if it's upgraded and it's succeeding, you're bouncing it every time it strikes. I, I guess I just don't see the point there. Now, but, this is something that I'm like a little disappointed in. I would have loved to see them add this to her leveled up form, too. Because mm-hmm. her leveled up form is a quick attack, play, uh, rally. So when you play her, you rally. And then when you strike, you recall her. That way, once you did strike with her, like every time she's attacking and recalling, you're getting the opportunity to replay Mm -hmm. her, rally, and get another fleeting Blade's Edge every single time. As it stands right now, that way she could keep generating that that resource. Um, As it is right now, she's only ever going to probably generate one of these. Almost certainly only ever one of these. Um, the only other way it would happen is if someone recalls her to your hand before she levels up, then she can generate two, but you're probably yeah. not going to be doing that intentionally. So, um, so I don't know, like, I, I kind of wish that, I don't know, like, I, I think it is interesting. I mean, obviously it's just a straight up buff. It adds value to her. I don't know that this one versus Yasuo and Callista get me excited enough to experiment with her. I think if I'm going to be doing some experimenting with champions, it's going to be Callista Yasuo over Katarina for me personally. Yeah. I, th- I do. I actually like Katarina. I think she's cool. I think there are scenarios where she can just drive games because you just get into a scenario where you've exhausted your opponent out of removal and you play cat attack with her. They have to block so they don't die. Play cat attack with her. They have to block so they don't die. Play cat attack with her. Like you can play her multiple times in a round and, um, you know, two, well, two times, I guess, but it's allowing you to get multiple attacks in with her that is forcing your opponent to block, which basically uses her as removal for multiple of your opponent's creatures. Um, and there are some scenarios where that will work. Unfortunately, you're right. Nine times out of 10, she gets hit with mystic shot or something. And then you can't use her, but occasionally you, you can make it work. You can make it work. We have, and I don't, I mean, typically like here's kind of like, we're going to move on in just a second. Yeah. But not, I don't want to be overly critical of like the card design. I don't have an issue with the card design. In fact, in fact, I really do love this blades edge buff because it gives you, even if Katarina gets mystic shotted, you still get something, Sure. you know? Um, But I, when I build a deck, I do not like putting cards in the deck that do what you just said, which is most of the time they're bad, but sometimes they're great. I would always rather play a card that says most of the time they're good, but occasionally they're bad. 
Mm-hmm. Like I would, I don't need to play. I don't like building decks that play. I mean, sometimes I'll meme. Don't get me wrong, but like I don't seriously build decks where I've got a card that says, "This is an ace up the sleeve," but only fifteen percent of the time. I just don't like that style of deck building, and I know really good tournament players who do that. They'll put a card that's well, most of the time it's bad, but occasionally it's you know, you know, it's an ace and it wins me the game outright. You know, I know Caracon Jewel would do that sometimes uh, in Tessel, where like there'd be a weirdo card in there, just one copy, and he'd be like, "Yeah, I mean, it's a fifty card deck. I won't see it every time." He's like, "But sometimes when I see it, it'll win me the game instantly." And he was one of the best players in the game. Sure, you know, but I don't, I don't like that philosophy. Therefore, I'm unlikely to play something like Katarina until there is an environment in which Mystic Shot is not popular. Hmm. Yeah, like, I don't mind a I don't mind to get excited or a or a black spear getting played on Katarina because a black spear I'll know if it's available based on whether something's died or not. A uh, and get excited cost them an extra card and both of yeah. them cost the same amount of mana as Katarina. Yes, it's the two mana remove my remove my champion. I I still am a proponent of one one off a one Katarina index that maybe this in just this unique scenario on a specific turn can close out the game for you. Um, mm-hmm. But never, never more than one. I don't think this makes her more than one for me. I don't think she becomes a staple champion because of this change um, right. in any way. So we got about nine cards that got buffs or nerfs. We're going to do like quick 10, 15, mm-hmm. 20 second thoughts on them. Laurent Duelist, a three mana three two that gives an uh, an ally challenger this round is now a three mana four two that gives an ally challenger this round. Thought Laurent Duelist was cool before. Didn't think he was viable because he didn't have enough health himself. Still don't think that he's viable at a four two, but maybe an aggressive uh, an aggressive Demacia list will like him. I could be wrong about this, but I'm I'm not blown out of the water by that. Can he give himself challenger? No then he's bad. Yeah, I, I, I mean, just, I just don't think he's great. Yeah, that The problem with this guy is, you're right, the defense is the problem. But the other thing is, like, you you would almost like a three-mana 4-2 with Challenger um, because it would be able to trade up into a lot of things in the same way that, like, Trifarian Glory Seeker has a two-mana 5-1. Now, the problem with Trifarian Glory Seeker is and always will be Vile Feast. <clears throat> but... Sure. Um, Laurent Duelist uh, would do a, a very similar thing. At three mana, four, two, it survives Vile Feast, admittedly not Mystic Shot, but um, you're still able to kind of get that challenger. But, and again, there is power to being able to throw challenger on other things. The problem is <clears throat> it would be a good card if it puts it on itself as if it has that option of saying, okay, I just want to give it to myself, like Wardcrafter and Elder Scrolls. It can give that ward yeah. something big, or sometimes it could just give it to itself and, okay, I'll take it, you know? Sure. But in the situation where you have to play this on three or you die, you know, and you can't use it um, because you don't have anything else on the board to hit it with or you're playing it right defensively. Right. You're playing it because you have to play it on you. You have to play it on your turn when you're attacking. Otherwise, this loses challenger. I think the other thing that could make it more viable is if it's a given ally challenger. If you were able to just give an ally challenger, not challenger this this round. round. That mm-hmm. would make it better as well. I don't think it being four attack really what the, the, the amount of attack or health wasn't the problem for this card. Well, the health if it was a three three for three, 
we would I, I would consider this card because anything with average stat distribution I would consider. Um and generally speaking, like if you're gonna play a card with um disproportionate stat distribution, usually you prefer it on the defensive side, unless it is an aggressive centered card, a card that is either based on tribal synergies or uh the effect it has naturally aggressive. This is neither. So I yeah, I, I don't think this is gonna make any difference whatsoever. Um Next, Vanguard Bannerman. He's the four mana three three elite that has allegiance, meaning that if the top card of your deck is also Demacia, gives all allies plus one plus one. It now gives all other allies plus one plus one. So basically, this buffs your board still, but does not buff itself because this you, you really reliably get allegiance. So what you were basically doing was a four mana four four that buffed your entire board. Now he is a four mana three three. So you are always playing a card that's slightly understated. Because the Demacia decks were running this, were running like 95% Demacia. So you can basically always get the Allegiance. And I can see why they did this, because the more Demacia cards they print, the more a problem this card would just become. Because you're just going to have more, more options in Demacia and not have to go to other, other places to get those options. So I'm, I'm happy with that change. I think, that's a, I think that's a smart change. Yeah, it's a good change, but I don't think it's going to stop people from playing it or to basing Allegiance decks around it. Oh, the absolutely bottom line not. is you're getting you're getting one less stat you're, or two less points. So plus one, plus one, you're getting one less of those. Um, if you have just one ally, it's average stat distribution. If you have two allies, it's above average stat distribution. Or, I mean, stat points for the cost. Sure, <clears throat> yes. That makes sense. So um, still very good, still very good. Yeah, I, I I still think it's a good card, um, but I appreciate them looking at this and saying, okay, this card only becomes more of a problem the more cards that we add to Demacia. So yeah. we need to, and the more options we give Demacia to play at specific slots, because you know they're going to get some some cards earlier on. So I think that this was just, it, it was just a good change. I think that it it was a popular card, and it looks more like, to me, a design space change for the future than just about anything else yeah yeah the next card we have is blood for blood this is a noxus card that was a three mana fast spell that read deal one damage to an allied follower if it survives create a copy of it at hand now it re now it is a two mana so it was a three mana create a copy it is the same exact card except it's two mana you have played with these cards before dbn so tell me a little bit about this because i have never played blood for blood yeah blood for blood is really interesting <clears throat> in that it was usually used with Legion Marauder, the three-mana 3-2 three, that says attack, give all Legion Marauders everywhere, plus one, plus one. <clears throat> Sorry about my throat, by the way, guys. I've, my allergies have been bothering me. Unacceptable. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but Blood for Blood uh, wasn't super applicable outside of that. So, like, whereas you think you, you would think, hey, maybe I can play this in, like, a Braum vlad build right um the three mana cost was very very difficult to front um because a you can only do it to an allied follower if you could do it to any ally and create a champion copy my god this would be really good with something like brahm or vlad but since you can only do it to followers um it was much less so now it's pretty good with something like crimson aristocrat and obviously legion marauder i mean th this potentially opens up that kind of meme legion marauder deck to be a little bit better um, but what's cool here is that like now with the one less mana cost, it's a lot more enticing to use something like Crimson Aristocrat 
to use with something like um, um, uh, Scarthane Stefan, right? Where by damaging it, you're enabling other cards, uh, like you're buffing up Vlad. You're also, uh, if you're damaging your Scarthane Stefan, it's buffing. If you're damaging your Aristocrat, you're dealing to damage. But it also will enable the three mana uh, Freljord card that gives plus three, plus three to a damaged character. Um, mm -hmm. So I don't think that is, I, I really don't think this is going to turn around the self-damage archetype right now. Um, but it is, you know, kind of, I think, back on the consideration, back on the menu, so to speak, uh, for uh, those those synergies because it's a lot more cost-effective. It's cool that you're creating a copy of a card in your hand, um, but you're basically saying, I'm replacing Blood for Blood in my hand with another creature, which would normally lead you to believe, well, shouldn't I just run a different character so I don't have to pay three to replace this with something else, right? Now, because the, the only other thing that it's super great with is dam you know, damaging something to enable, you know, facilitate new card effects. Um, so with the exception of specific cards, I need a lot of copies of this card, like Legion Marauder. Um, it being cheaper now potentially incentivizes that flexibility. Sure. I I don't have any <clears throat> thoughts on it. I've never played it. So right. DBN is all of our thoughts on that one. Um Cato the Arm, five mana five, three, uh, give my supported ally plus three plus zero and overwhelm this round is now a five mana five four that does the same exact thing. Um, I did not actually know this card existed um and uh or haven't messed around with it anyway. And I think this card is very cool. Overwhelm is a super strong keyword. Um, yeah. and especially in the way that blocking works in this game is a very, very strong keyword in this, not dying to a lot of stuff. Um, now that it would have died to before makes a lot of sense for me that this card makes its way into really aggressive Noxus decks. Um, that this is sort of their top end card. Maybe I'm completely off with that, but I mean, this is just I mean, if you play it and get to attack with it, right, you basically are playing, paying for a two mana five four because there is a spell that gives your creature plus three plus O oh, and overwhelm, and that spell costs three. So this is basically a two mana five four if you get to attack with it once. Granted, you don't get to surprise your opponents with it like you would a um a uh you know a, a, a spell yeah might is might is a one mana plus three plus zero right or is that the no no might is the is the three mana plus three and overall yeah and that one is fast that one's fast so you can mm -hmm. surprise someone with that and, and choose who you want to put it on after your opponent reacts which obviously is very very powerful but are you okay with sacrificing some of that powerful in order to get a the equivalent of a two mana five four um, if, if you only get to attack with this once, right? Um, if you get to attack with it twice, it pays for itself. So, um, I don't know. I, I think it's good. I think that health buff makes it viable in, um, in the aggro decks, the hyper-aggressive aggro decks. And this is kind of getting towards their top end. That's my thought. Yeah, I played him in, I've only played him in twice. Once was an expedition where he slayed. It's very strong. Mm -hmm. um, the second was in a deck I built really early on, which was when I confused striking for attacking and was trying to basically play an unstoppable rage deck with like 
judgment and like the single duel or whatever the one mm-hmm. single combat and try to get a bunch of overwhelm units to deal damage to their face by making them strike things. Um, Which doesn't work. Does not work. No, does not work. So I immediately trashed the idea. However, what I did enjoy uh, was the overwhelm um, and uh, just as being a, a good way to push a lot of damage and just keep the tempo of the game. And now that I'm thinking about it, it's also pretty good with Challenger. Uh, sure. Because you can challenge their smallest guy and have overwhelm on your character and just jam a bunch of damage through. Absolutely. So potentially that could be a really interesting way to play is pairing all of these overwhelm cards and support cards with um, challenger cards and things that give challenger. Uh, so yeah, I, I mean, I think cater the arm is tough because I think support as a keyword mechanic is pretty weak. I like that it exists because it allows you to utilize your placement on the board and where you put things left to right, which generally you don't care about, but there are occasions where you do, which I enjoy. Like, okay, normally you want to put Darius on the far right so that your opponent can't let your stuff slip down, can't let their health slip down below 10. Otherwise, Darius goes up to 10 and tries to kill them. Yeah. Right? Uh, so, yeah, I, I mean, Kato is neat. The plus one defense does the same thing that it does for Yasuo, which is means there's a bunch of removal points that won't hit it and finish it off. So yeah, good card. The average, but I mean, oh, not not gonna. This isn't gonna. This isn't gonna be what pushes Kato into playability, in my opinion. But I think he is an underappreciated card. Yeah, uh, especially because I didn't even really know that he existed before this. Um, Everos and Trapper, three mana, two, two. When you summon him, get a, a enraged Yeti in the top three cards of your deck, which is a one mana, five, five. Now he is a three mana, three, three. So just even stat distribution. You're not losing a whole tremendous amount of tempo for putting a one mana, five, five in the top three cards of your deck. Maybe I, I already thought this card was good. Now I think it's like, dang, like, I mean, a one mana, five, five. At some point in the next three turns, that's really strong. Um, especially if that one mana five five goes immediately on top, um, which it has a thirty three percent chance of doing. Yeah, I mean, I, I think this, I think this is a sleeper buff. I actually can't say that. I don't know what other people are saying about this. Like, I haven't heard, I haven't watched any kind of card review videos because I didn't want my opinions to be like tainted sure. by that. Um. But I think this is, I can see this card going under the radar for a lot of people because it doesn't see a ton of play that I'm aware of. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's, it's a cheap guy. I mean, everybody's going to be focused on the champs. Um, but I think this going up to even stat distribution at three, which is one of the most crucial, like, turns in the game where, like, you absolutely have to get something down on three. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you start losing spell mana. Um, and otherwise your opponent starts running away with the game with their aggro. Like you absolutely have to get something down by three. And this guy is not, it's not that he's not bad. He's pretty darn good on curve. If you play him on three, then you know, you know, by the time you get to turn six, you will have a one mana five, five. Um, It's kind of scary in that respect. So I I think this guy is going to see some more play. 
Yeah, I mean, before it was like you sack tempo to gain tremendous tempo in the next three turns. Now it's you don't really sacrifice much tempo and I can block fearsome units, which I think is important. Mm -hmm. The two to three attack is an important change in attack yeah, because it, it allows you to block fearsome now. So this is saying, hey, I can block fearsome. I even have more health. So if you need me to block some of my opponents, one or twos that they've dropped, yeah, I can do this that will, and then this trade will again. Kill Elise and live. Yep. Yeah. This will kill Elise and live and put a crazy strong tempo term in your deck in the next three turns. So I don't know that this will be a staple, but it's strong. It's a lot stronger. Obviously, it's it's it might be one of the more significant buffs to a card that is in this set of buffs. Yeah, the buff is definitely a big. It's a big leap. Yes, it's a big jump yeah. from what it was to what it is now. Is a big jump. Exactly. Yeah. Starlit Seer was a two mana two two. Whenever you cast a spell, grant the top card of your deck plus one plus one. It is now a two mana three three instead of a two mana two two. Um, I thought that this card was cool i've played it in um i think that this card just really honestly where it becomes really strong now is it's a straight up really good card in in expedition it was good in expedition already because your opponent didn't always have the removal to get rid of it now i think it is just much stronger in expedition because it will probably be able to trade with your opponent's one drop without dying now um so i think that um may be able to trade with your opponent's two drop without dying um, I think that this is a straight up buff to what it will do in Expedition, and you will see it a lot in Expedition. And in Expedition, if if you can, if you can buff your deck, um, then it's really strong. I don't know if I said something wrong. Did I say it? Did I say it wrong? I might have said it wrong. Uh -huh. It's a two mana two three, not a two mana three I, two. No, I think you said two three, but okay, I well, could be wrong. It's a two but mana it is two a two three. mana two three confirmed. Yes. Yeah. That's the that is the ideal that is the ideal stats of a two drop without it being overstatted at some cost. Um in like general game design, which we've seen from you know Hearthstone and Tessel and all that stuff, two mana two threes tend to be see play, like a lot of play. Um now this effect has me kind of puzzled in that. Typically, you want a two-mana 2-3 two, uh, in decks which want to secure a board state. Uh, otherwise, they tend to go for more kind of value generation. And this is a value generation in a weird way, but it doesn't actually put cards into your hand. You know, it doesn't... I, I, what I'm getting at here is you need a blend of I want to put a creature on the board on turn two, and I'm going to be playing, you know a couple spells in the you know first few turns because this card is going to suck on turn six if you play it and then play a couple spells because the game's almost over or rather the game is going to be decided by that point mm. and a couple stat points on some cards uh when you're playing two con in a control mirror aren't going to matter like stats on like you know a plus one plus one on a card in a control meter mirror is not going to decide the game so what i'm kind of you know puzzled by is this needs to go in a deck that wants to secure an early board state but also wants to play enough spells that the creatures that we would buff you're also likely to see anytime soon sure because if you have to wait three turns to get that plus one plus one you know then it's not going to be super valuable mm -hmm. because this, this suffers from the idea of i i have to be on the board then you have to play spells and then those spells are going to buff a creature, and that creature I need to see sometime soon. 
and then play that creature. So I'm playing spells and creatures. It's like it wants to play in this deck that has a good balance between spells and creatures and desires the board. Which a heavy, a heavy um, frost-oriented uh, deck that's going to frostbite a lot of stuff does sometimes have. I mean, uh, I think that frostbite decks probably do have the greatest mixture of sort of like creature-to-spell ratio. Um, they, mm -hmm. they sort of mix those two things together rather well. Um, once again, I don't think that this gets played in standard. I think that this is better in arena. I think it was good in, in the, in the expedition before. I think it's better in expedition now. And sometimes it wasn't good in expedition, but sometimes it was really good and it blew out games for you because a big tempo swing a couple turns later can make up for not having the best tempo swing early on, um, in, yeah. in, in the expedition. Cause your opponent can't always respond to it with removal, which is important. Yeah, Seer, Seer is, I, I, I'm just trying to make a case for if it will see play in standard, and I think it would be really good in a very, very specific deck, but you're right, most of the time, it's okay. going to be a good pickup for Expedition. Yeah. Warding Stones is next. I played this card today. It is a three mana, zero, three, start of round, get an extra mana gem this round, and it is now a three mana, zero, four, which I think it was a three mana, zero, four, and then they debuffed nah, it to a zero, three, and then they oh, rebuffed it to a Maybe. zero, four. If that was in alpha, then I have no idea. I cannot I cannot remember the 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 back and forth of it. So well, I, I really have nothing to say here. Like it's mana ramp, it's not super efficient mana ramp, it sits on your board. It seems like enlightenment decks with karma and um um Anivia don't have a problem getting to that 10 mana cap, don't have a problem getting to late game. So I, I really just kind of don't see the point in this card overall. Yeah, it doesn't um, have attack, which makes it bad. Like, yeah, it's just bad. I mean, it, I mean it because if it goes away, you start you lose the benefit, which is the point. But the problem is it also takes up spots on your row, so eventually you're gonna have to sack them. I'm not saying it, it'll never be good. I'm just kind of saying I I just don't think it's needed right now. Control seems to be in a strong enough place that it doesn't need to play cards like this. To ramp, mm -mm. Um, to ramp, you know, and and frankly, if my opponent starts playing their spending their mana on this, I'm probably as an aggro deck, I'm probably pretty happy because it means they're not spending their mana on things that kill my things or trade with my things. And if they throw a weirding, especially if I'm a, especially if I'm a deck, a type of aggro deck that wants to, that my win condition, quote unquote, uh, is to assemble a board so strong that my opponent cannot come back. If that's my win condition, Weirding Stones help me towards that win condition. Um, more than them playing that. Yep. You know, they would be better if they played if they would that would be that would be the situation where, you know, if I'm an aggro deck and they're a control deck, they're they play Weirding Stones. I'm glad they didn't play a three mana three three Avaros and Trapper. Exactly. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. You know what I mean? It's like I've played this card a handful of times, and basically every time I've played it, I'm like, I would rather sacrifice the mana and not sort of fake ramp. And instead of fake ramping, I would rather just have something that I could trade with. Like that Aeon, Aeon, Eon Stone or whatever. The uh, one that heals for three and ramps. And ramps and is a burst. Yeah, I would play that yeah. over this for sure. Because right. I can use spell mana for that, which I can't use for this. Exactly. So then we have Shady Character. Yep. Shady Character picks a follower, transforms into a copy of that follower, an exact copy, which is, means whatever their current health and status and whatever is um this guy was a four mana one one he's now a four mana one three and i think this is still not a 
great character, although I can eventually see there being some sort of crazy OTK or something by copying your own really crazy thing. But as a fun card and an expedition card, this was pretty awful because you can play it, you target the thing, the effect goes up, and then they have a chance to Vile Feast it or yep. Mystic Shot it. So now it doesn't die to Vile Feast, it doesn't die to Mystic Shot, it will only die to Get Excited and Black Spear. Uh, or like a single combat, but I mean, that's always dependent on what creature is dueling. So uh, the point is Shady Character now will actually get to use its effect. Good news, everyone, because I think it's a fun card. I don't think it's a particularly powerful card, but it's going to be, it's nice to see a, a goofy, fun, and enjoyable effect like this actually be able to go off. So I, I, I mean, I have nothing else on this. I just, it's good. Yeah, it's cool. It's cool that they're enabling a little bit of a meme thing here. I don't think it's going to enable, I don't think it'll ever enable some ridiculous combo deck. It, your opponent's still going to get a chance to take a turn after you do this. It's like, if this went off and it was a burst ability and you could do it and your opponent could not react to it, we'd be in a very different situation. But the fact that you're going to play it, your opponent gets a chance to react, then they get a turn, then you well, get to do what you want to is, is makes it so that it's Mimi versus Maybe able to be broken. My, my, my rule of thumb with saying it's possible it could turn into a broken thing is if the effect is not explicitly delineated, right? If the outcome is not explicitly said. So for instance, shady character, most of the time it's going to turn into a, we'll say a five, five, right? But theoretically, if there was a 16, 16 on the board, it would turn into a 16, 16, right? Yeah. Um, so any situation where the card effect does not explicitly tell you the outcome, right? Like Yasuo will deal two damage, and when he's upgraded, he'll deal whatever his attack damage is, right? Sure. You know, um, the Kato will give three. He'll always just give three and overwhelm, mm -hmm. okay? It, it's never dependent on another thing on the board, how effective he is. So for the same reason the Shady character is bad, which is it totally depends on other situations, other circumstances, um, it also means it could potentially be broken in other specific situations. I played a Legend of the Five Rings deck um, in Emperor Edition uh, that basically found a way to, on turn three, cheat out a 15 cost, and it worked, the money worked differently. So, but it, to cheat out a big, huge Oni, which looked like a giant uh, purple worm. And then play a couple cards uh, that make that were called it was called amazing feet, and you had to have an artisan, and the artisan sculpted a lifelike, you know, facsimile of this thing, right? Like a simulacrum almost for D and D people of whatever creature you wanted. Well, the design of that card, amazing feet, was not that you were supposed to be making beautiful artwork of a giant purple worm. But because it didn't explicitly tell you there's a cap on the outcome, it copied, I would basically cheat out this big thing and then copy it four times and swing at all four of my opponent's provinces with ridiculous giant purple worms that usually they were unprepared to defend against. Mm -hmm. So the only point I'm making, it's not, I mean, that's a, it was one of my favorite decks because it was so goofy. But the point is, is when the card doesn't give you an, an explicit idea of what the outcome is going to be, it should always be on the radar of potentially breaking something. Yeah, no, I think that's a good thing to point out, that you just need to be aware of those sort of things, right? That, yeah. that if it doesn't give you a clear indication of exactly what it's going to do, that it could be exploited potentially at some point. 
Yeah. The l- uh, we have Frenzied Skitterer. Yeah, go ahead. Hit that one up. Yeah, Frenzied Skitterer. Everyone's least favorite spider. If anyone even likes spiders, which I don't. <laughs> um, not not just like doesn't like spiders in the game, like just doesn't like spiders Real life. overall. Yeah, it just doesn't. Yeah, they're just. I mean, I I don't listen. They're no mosquitoes. I I loathe mosquitoes. Okay, um, but spiders, you know, you're just kind of like, come on, man. Like, can you just like go live somewhere else? So I don't have to look at your creepy form. Um, <laughs> your creepy form. Yeah. So frenzied skitterer was probably the strongest three drop in the game. I don't actually know that, but I'm just going to take a stab. If if not the strongest, top five for sure. Um, and, and I kind of made a point in one of my videos, which was on ephemerals, that I included Frenzied Skitterer, even though I wasn't running any spiders. Why? Because the effect is still good, even if you don't have spiders. Uh, three, it's three man, three, three, fearsome. When it's summoned, give all your spiders plus one and all enemies minus one. Well, it still does that effect, which means this card is still really good. But it did go down one health point, uh, so it is a three mana three two now, so it can get Mystic shotted. I don't actually, I don't actually think that affects the, sh- like that allows you to kill it easier, but it doesn't stop the fact that this is still a great card because the effect is still really, really, really good. Sure, yeah. I mean, I think that the the card is still strong. I mean, I think this is just like it's a necessary it's a necessary nerf. I think that yeah. it was a really, really strong card. It's a little less strong now. I don't think it's nerfed into oblivion. Like, I don't think it's going to quit seeing play. Um, it no. just is. It's just not as good as it was. That's all. Well, and it, and it is worth noting that this and this is pretty important, I think, for, you know, frequent counters to spiders. Um, it dies to Mystic Shot. Yes, but also Avalanche. And that's very, very relevant for spiders, is things dying to avalanche. Um, I played against a lot of spiders when I was playing War Mother's control deck. Um, and uh, running three avalanche, it was like, hey, I'm playing against spiders. Do I find avalanche? If yes, I have a shot. You know, I have a shot of stabilizing before things get out of control. Now, Frenzied Skitterer not dying was always like, okay, so I'm going to wipe most of his board but he's still gonna have a lease still gonna have the skitterer okay i need to be figure out ways to deal with them um now this is one more card that will die to that avalanche uh so i mean it's definitely a nerf don't get me wrong it's definitely a nerf but i think i would still 100 play this card because the effect is just still so strong yeah i mean i think that jethron pointed out in the chat that this is important it's vulnerable to spells not creatures because it has fearsome so a creature with three attacks still needs to be the thing that defends against it um Mm -hmm. and so it doesn't become more vulnerable on the attack because it needed a three a damage thing to kill it before it still needs a three damage or three attack thing to kill it but it is more vulnerable i I just i I still think the card is strong i still think it's like i said it's going to see play it's going to go in every spider's deck it's just not as strong and that's yeah. okay. There was a big power spike for for spider decks at three because of this card. It was a very strong card. I don't think it's bad, but you're going to want to play it in decks that synergize with spiders. Now, there were some decks that were, I mean, you would just play it in fearsome decks because it lowered your opponent's attack enough. I think yeah. that you're going to want it to be I just in play, I did that in ephemerals. I just jammed it in there at the three drop slot because I wanted another three drop that actually survived and didn't kill itself at the end of the round. Yeah. And I said, okay, let's look for three. Oh, right. Frenzied Skitter. It's going to reduce all my opponent's stuff by one. Wonderful. It's good on offense. Good on defense. Yep. 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 Okay. So that is all the cards that got adjusted.
Hey guys, it's future Mark here. Um, I was just coming in to give you a quick heads up. Uh, about partway through this episode, we realized that it was going to be way too much material to cover all of the card reviews and also cover uh, all of the changes that were made to cards. So this episode is going to be our patch and we are going to uh, do an additional episode this week as kind of a bit of a bonus where we are going to review all of the cards from uh, Freljord, Shadow Isles, and Noxus that have been released so far. So the remainder of this show, we're going to be answering some questions that have been posed by listeners in our Discord. And then uh, in a couple of days, we're going to release a second bonus episode that is going to be a card review of some of the set cards that have been released so far. Um, okay, well, that's it for me. So future Mark signing out and uh, I guess past Mark coming back. <laughs> Okay, guys, so what we decided to do is we're going to go ahead and actually split these episodes up a little bit and discuss some of the new cards in a second episode for this week. So we are going to look at some of the other news and the stuff that came out both for the Frail Yord and for the Shadow Isles um, sets, but we do want to take some time because we posted in the Discord this week and said, if you have any questions, please ask them. So we wanted to make sure that we got to that. So we're going to wrap up episode 11, part one. Um, with uh, going over a couple of questions that were posed in the Discord, which uh, DBN actually has pulled up for us right now. I learned that in class. Yeah, so this is a really interesting one, I think. Um, and so this is from Static Sheep. Uh, do you have any general tips on mulligans in Legends of Runeterra? I know a lot will be specific to the deck you're using, but walk us through your thought process when presented with the champs and regions in your opponent's deck. That was actually going to be my first point when I read that was the first thing that I do, because I don't often look at the loading screen with enough intentionality to know what I'm playing against, is I go and I click on my opponent's deck and I want to know, okay, what champs and what mix-up am I playing against? Because that is always going to be the thing. It's hard to tell, but oftentimes that informs me more about what my mulligan is going to be than necessarily what my own game plan is. The exception to that is when I am playing a hyper-aggressive deck in which I want the same start every single time I play. So it does change based off of the deck that I'm playing. For me personally, if I'm playing mid-range, a combo deck or a control deck, I'm often looking at my opponent's deck and I'm saying, okay, if you're playing something that is, if I'm playing Karma Heimerdinger and you're playing Karma Ezreal, then the cards that I want to mulligan for are different. I will keep a Heimerdinger in my hand. But if you're playing Jinx Draven, I am not going to keep Hyperdinger in my hand. I'm going to mulligan him away because I know that I will probably be able to get Heimerdinger out on the board with three spell mana against your Ezreal Karma control deck, but I'm definitely not going to be able to do that. And I need those, um, those quick spells that I can sort of remove stuff from the beginning. Now, I don't play a tremendous amount of aggro. In fact, I've played virtually none of it in this game, but in any other game where I am playing aggro, I know what my game plan is. And my game plan doesn't really get adjusted by what my opponent's game plan is. It's I'm going to play my most aggressive one step, one drop, my most aggressive two drop, my most aggressive three drop or two drop and one drop. Um, and in this game, oftentimes it's better to play a three drop because you're not giving your opponent an opportunity to interact with the board twice. Um, and so I am mulliganing away the cards that are higher cost looking for those. There's probably some 
slightly different scenarios where that's not the case. Like I know whenever I, I have, um, what is it? Calling strike, which is the destroy something with three or less attack, mm -hmm. um, that I run in my frail, your Noxus deck. And if I'm going up against my opponent, I do want to be aware of what their game plan is there, even though that's a, a pretty strong mid range deck. Um, and sometimes I do want to just look for like a good solid curve. If I know that my opponent is playing Ezreal or Heimerdinger, I want to make sure that I have Calling Strike in my hand, even Lucian. I want to make sure that I have Calling Strike in my hand because when they drop their first champ, I want to make sure that I can interact with that thing and get rid of it. So I will mulligan for or keep in my hand a Calling Strike based off of the champions that I'm up against. For example, if I look and it is, oh my gosh, I'm up against, um, you know, a Nivea and a, uh, I don't know, Vladimir, which would literally never happen. But if I was mm. up against a, a, a Nivea Vladimir and I have Calling Strike in hand, I'm all getting that thing away because I will be able to draw one by the time Anivia hits the board and I can't use it against Vladimir. So I'm probably going to mulligan that Calling Strike away and look for something else that will flesh out my curve a little bit smoother so that I know that I can sort of get on the board and stay stuck to the board. So I think that's kind of my thought process whenever it comes to mulliganing. Um, DBN, you may have a little bit more of an in-depth thought process on that, but um, at least for me, my thoughts don't go much deeper than that. Well, I mean, you can only do so much with mulligans. Um, the reality is, is that it's still a lot of luck involved every time you play. Um, the first thing that, you, you know, first step for me, are you playing a linear game plan deck? If so, then just know your game plan and just start with that. You know, it's, for instance, um, if I'm playing my Draven and Teemo Blitzy Aggro, I, I know that like 90% of the time, it doesn't matter what my opponent's playing. I'm going to pick the same start. I want to get a Legion rear guard out on one. I want to get a boom crew rookie or, you know, a, um, I'm trying to think what other two drops, you know, at, at worst, it's just any two drop on two. Right. Um, and so I'm always going to mulligan for that. I mean, I will literally just doesn't matter what they're playing. I'm going to hard mulligan for a one drop. Yeah. You know, want to get a one drop no matter what. So that's a that's kind of an isolated situation where it doesn't really matter what your opponent's playing usually. Now, it is important to be aware because what will happen is if I look at my hand before mulliganing and I've got that Legion rear guard and I've got that Boom Crew rookie and I'm saying, heck yeah, this is looking really great. Now that I've got those check marks, turn one, turn two, because it's aggro and I have to hit turn one and turn two if I can. Okay, well then what are my other two cards? Well, over here is a Mystic Shot. Hmm. And, and that fourth card... Oh, that's um, it's Draven. Interesting. Now let me look at what their stuff is now, and determine if this Mystic Shot or this Draven are worth keeping. Okay, let's see. Well, they're playing um, you know, uh, a, a harder control deck, um, in which they're not going to have, uh, let's say it's a Karma deck or something. Uh, or, or like a Shadow Isles Freljord control deck, right? They're not going to be playing a lot of creatures down. Well, first off, against Freljord Shadow Isles, my matchup's not very good anyways. But um, they're not going to be putting a lot of creatures down. So my Mystic Shot, which normally in this deck serves as both face damage and removal uh, to enable my creatures to live longer, well, I think this is going to be a little bit more valuable as a creature. So this sure. Mystic Shot will only ever be going face. 
And if I want a chance of being this, I need to have a lot of creatures down to snowball a board, which is a little bit hard for that deck to do. So I'm going to throw that one back. Draven, perfect situation. We like to keep Draven here. He's a little bit harder to kill. You know, I have my one, two, and three, and I can hopefully, you know, drop some more creatures down. Um, so that's that. that. That's that situation. Everything Mark said regarding looking at your opponent's, you know, classes and understanding uh, what type of deck they're playing uh, is dead spot on. You need to know whether you're the aggressor uh, or the controller in that matchup. And that comes with meta knowledge. And sometimes that takes that takes time to figure out. And you may still be wrong. Sure. You know, you may absolutely. look at their you may you may look at their Noxus and Shadow Isles pairing with Darius and Elise and say, oh man, these guys are gonna be some hard aggro, you know, guys, these guys are gonna beat my face in. And then it turns out, well, no, it's basically a controlling Shadow Isles deck that puts Darius in as a top end threat and wasn't actually running any real Noxus. Yes, right? sure. So you don't always know. Or they're but running the something thing... that's a lot more mid-rangey in the spider package, right? Right, right. and you, so you're not going to know completely, but you want to get a vague idea of what type of deck, especially meta deck, if you're on the ladder, they might be playing. You see Carmen Ezreal, well, you pretty much know, right? <laughs> um, but the more important thing, I think, for kind of more actionable intelligence for newer players, and this goes for both in-game and before-game when you mulligan, is to look at what their factions are and take a second and breathe and remember what type of removal do they have. Yes, that's important. It so informs your your decision-making to know, well, it's P and Z, so they've got the Mystic Shot, you know, uh, and they've got the uh, Get Excited. Um, get Excited wow, they're going to have a lot of removal and those things are pretty common. Okay, it's P and Z and what? Okay, it's P and Z and um, we'll say it's uh, what's uh, Ionia. Ionia. We're going to say Ionia for a very specific reason. Okay, it's Ionia. Okay, they have Deny. Sure. I should play with the assumption that they have Deny. So if I'm playing a Shadow Isles control build, and I'm looking at a, a a whispering whale or whatever that's called, wailing whisper, whispering whale, whatever yep. that five mana thing is. If I'm looking at you know uh, um, an avengeance, I'm gonna know even if I'm playing greedy, and I know they're gonna be a control deck. These things are risky, and and even if I decide to keep them because I think that that's a good decision, it still is going to be. I need to have that in my mind for the rest of the game. So you might as well go ahead and check that in the mulligan stage. Say, okay, we're you know we're against uh, Freljord. I know I have to be aware of Avalanche if I'm Spiders. You know, know what cards hurt you the most so that you can go ahead, take a peek at what they're doing, uh, and allow that to inform your decision making going forward. If that means that you're going to mulligan away that 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 two defense creature because they're playing Mystic Shot, and look for a, your three defense two drop. That's useful mulligan tips uh, right there. Hopefully that's that's helpful. There's a lot of different things you can do. I mean, we can get into all the specifics, but I, I don't know if that's exactly as helpful as those baseline. Look at what they're doing. Try to figure out if you know what the meta is. Decide whether it's worth acting on based on your game plan. And when you do act, don't immediately forget it after you mulligan. Keep in mind what those danger cards are for the rest of the game. Yeah, absolutely. That's all really, really good advice. Uh, and I think we had more than one question that came in, did we not? Yeah, yeah. We got uh here's another one. Uh what's the number one thing that has helped you improve your play in Legends of Runeterra? 
Oh, the number one thing that's helped me improve my play. I think that Legends of Runeterra had a bit of a learning curve for me with the it action economy. And um, honestly, like I'm I'm struggling to know exactly how improved my play has gotten. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, I don't know that I've gotten tremendously better as a player, but I think the one thing that helped me was was the concept and the importance of open attacking and knowing when to open attack and knowing when to try to develop a bit more of a board and give your opponent the opportunity to interact. I learned a little bit of that from watching a couple of different streamers. And I think that like the learning when to open attack and when not to open attack, and I have not gotten that right. A lot of times I've risked playing another creature and there's like this betting game there's this betting game that is going on between you and your opponent every single round which i really enjoy and there's kind of a bit of a bluffing game going on too like i've noticed mm -hmm. that my opponent will drop uh, i will drop a, a my three two wolf with challenger and my opponent will have a one one on the board i'll pass the turn to them and they pass coming back to me and i take the bait and i attack with my three two challenging their one one which allows them to play their Draven because they just didn't want me to challenge Draven. Whereas now they've developed their board. I've only cleared a one, one and they have a Draven on the board and I could have clicked pass and end round leaving their one, one up on the board and not have challenged it and given them no opportunity to develop a board and wasting some of their mana. And I think that that has been one of the things that I've been trying to learn is sort of the bluffing element of the turn economy that you have to learn in specific situations that sometimes you're actually better off to pass the round and give the attack token to your opponent because they haven't developed their board yet and now are going to miss an entire round of development because they didn't want to develop into the board that you had before you took your option of attacking. And I think that there has been many times where I've been trying to learn learn that a little bit and 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 learn that economy a bit. And there's been other times where I've attacked I haven't attacked and they didn't really have the ability to develop. And I could have taken the free trade on that one one, but I didn't take it. And so I think that that has been one of the things that has helped me learn the game the most is sort of watching how streamers use the bluffing element of the of the action economy to their advantage. And knowing that it's not Sometimes it's okay if you know your opponent wants to develop to just click the pass button and wait to see what they do before you throw your thing down. Um, you don't always have to react right away. And um, there, there's been a learning curve in that for me, but I think that has definitely made me to be a better player as I've studied that economy that goes back and forth. Yeah, I think <clears throat> it's hard to pin down any like one thing um, but I, I'll tell you what helps me improve my play in all games, <clears throat> which it, it's kind of two part. One, it's just learn the cards. Just learning the cards makes you a better player because you know what's out there that can hurt you. Um, and the second is being willing to take the next step. And, and this is like, maybe this is just a me thing. When I first start a new game, I get really invested in, I'm just going to learn to play my stuff. I'm just going to learn my stuff. I can't try to learn every card that's in this game. That's too much information for one brain to handle at the same time. So instead, because I want to learn the mechanics of the game, <clears throat> I'm just going to focus on my stuff. I'm going to learn my deck and I'm just going to try to play my deck, you know, as optimally as possible. I'm going to pick a deck 
that doesn't rely on what they're doing, that's going to allow me to just focus on mechanics and mastering, you know, the action economy, mastering the mana ramps, you know, mastering, uh, you know, the, the way that the trick, the, you know, the board tricks happen, the combat phase happens to get a really good grasp of that. And then I'm going to start only after I kind of feel good on that. Am I going to start focusing on the other cards, paying really close attention to what my opponent punished me with? What, you know, pairings did they do? How did they synergize these two cards? What did the order of these cards dropping entail? So for instance, if they drop this, I look at that card. I'm like, that card's not that scary. And then when they drop the second card, because I didn't do anything, right? Uh, then all of a sudden I'm screwed. I don't have a specific example for this, but I know they exist because, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. because now I'll look, I'll see that card. I'll say, okay, is it just that card or are they about to, or if I pass, are they going to drop that card that goes with it? And then I'm done. Right. Sure. And, and so learning those kind of, you know, um, what do they call it? Like, you know, like reading the fortune, so to speak, about when my opponent is playing in a certain way, when my opponent is passing, like you were talking about, where they want to establish that Draven, right? But they don't want you to challenge it. When my opponent is playing in a certain way, being able to read them, that comes from being able to say, I have a good, strong understanding of the mechanics. And then I have a good, strong understanding of my deck such that I can devote my brain power on focusing on reading the opponent and not just retrying to predict, but also kind of analyzing as you go and downloading the information from that match saying, man, they screwed me with this judgment play that I didn't pay attention to their mana. They swung and I didn't notice that they had enough mana to play judgment. That's on me. You sure. know what I mean? And being willing to kind of, you know, learn from that, and not to get tilted one thing. But the second is just cataloging that information. And so start, start with the mechanics, focus on that, really get those mechanics down packed and then develop your understanding, you know, of the meta of what cards are going to get played. Um, and then you'll start knowing, well, what card, what cards screw me here? Are they likely to have those cards? Let me check their faction. Oh, they're not, you know, a deny would ruin my game, but they're not playing Ionia. So I'm good. Right. Um, because really, in my opinion, and I don't want this to come off uh, the wrong way. G good card game players, you know, uh, play scared. Not scared of losing, you know what I mean? But Not cautious. scared of their opponent. Yeah, cautious. They're scared of what their opponent can do to them. And so they're going to do everything in their power to not give them that opportunity, to not open up that door that your opponent can walk through. So as long as you're always playing with the idea of I'm not going to give them an easy break, they always need to earn it. Um, and, and knowing when set, making a certain play is, is, you know, opening up that door for that big removal spell that you don't have your answer for, you know, or when playing out an entire, playing out your entire hand thinking, wow, six things on the board is going to be way better than four things on the board. Well, now when you get uh, ruinationed, you know, you're, you're going to have to learn that lesson the hard way. Sure. You know, maybe I should have held some creatures back. <laughs> um, so just, yeah, like I said, learn those mechanics, get those down packed, and then focusing on learning as many of the cards as possible uh, so that you, you can play scared. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, I think, that, I think that's really good advice. I think that's really good advice. And I think 
Well, the last question that we had came in, but it, it involves some of the future cards, correct? Well, no, we have one more question. Oh, okay, uh, good. Actually, from uh, Caliadne in the Discord. What is an older meta deck that you guys think might be able to make a return or is still underrated? Oh, interesting. Um, it, it is. The, the meta has moved a lot in this game. And it's honestly hard to catalog all of the decks that have been in the meta. I honestly think with what we talked about in this episode, there is a chance that the Yasuo focus decks could make a resurgence because Yasuo now has four health. Um, I think that it's perfectly reasonable for that. I think that I know kind of at the top end right now, it's sort of like the Jinx Draven, Hyper Aggro, and the Ezreal Karma Control. And those are the things that are sort of dominating top of the ladder. Those are like the S-tier decks, and they counter one another. Um, but I think that there is always the opportunity for Shadow Isles to come in really strong. It has a very strong kit. And I think there is always the opportunity for something mid-range or control to just sort of tip it over the edge and for that to come back in a really, really strong way. Um, I don't know for sure exactly what that deck would be. Obviously, I think it like Fearsome is is probably one really good Fearsome card away from or, or one thing that helps Fearsome work well away from being at the top of the meta again. I thought that, but then they they did give a nerf to Frenzied Skitterer, so maybe not. So, you know, it I think that that is a difficult question to answer because it seems like until recently, at least, the meta has been a little bit elusive. And I was even trying to think throughout the, since I saw this question, just about like, what were some of the decks that have been in the meta? And they, the meta shifted so quickly, it was hard to tell if the meta was evolving or if these decks were just not good in comparison with the new decks that we were discovering. You know, was it, was it shifting and changing in these decks? We'll see a resurgence and come back around in popularity eventually sort of like miracle rogue, right? Like in Hearthstone, miracle rogue has been a standard deck. That's always been relatively good, but there are certain times where miracle rogue has been S here because of the way the rest of the meta has been. Will that be the case with fearsome? Will that be the case with mid range shadow isles? Will that be the case with, um, you know, champion, no champion, Shadow Isles, Freljord, Control. There's been times when all those decks have been good, but they shifted so quickly. I don't know if they were actually good. So I, I think that I, my answer to that is I just don't know that I have a good answer for it. I mean, and the other thing is they change cards so rapidly in this game that it it's very viable that you could just be horribly, horribly wrong. Um, you know, they, it's like every couple of weeks we're getting a, a nerf, a patch, a patch with a bunch of card buffs and nerfs and, and they could easily, and Riot's been known to do this. They've just been like strong armed something into the meta. There's like, nope, in, in League of Legends, we want to see this champion. We're just going to buff them so that we force everyone to play it. And this champion is going to see play now because they've strong armed the meta in that direction. They, they sort of intentionally seem to shepherd the meta more than maybe some other games do. And I expect them to do that in Legends of Runeterra. So what deck could see a resurgence? In my opinion, it's whatever deck on a given month Riot wants to see a resurgence with. <laughs> That's a great point. Um, I I don't know if I, I don't know if I ever had a strong enough finger on the pulse of the meta, um, earlier. Like I feel like I'm I'm more in tune with it now, but I'm also just not a meta guy. 
You know sure. what I mean? Like I, I think I, I think I recognize strong decks, uh, and I probably could name a lot of the decks that are in the meta, but like ranking them and putting tier one or tier two or S tier or whatever on them, I'm not really prepared to do necessarily. Nor do I particularly have an interest in it. Uh, I, I've always preferred to play kind of not ignorant of the decks, but ignorant of people's opinions of the decks um, when laddering. Now, tournaments, that all changes. Sure. But when laddering, I think it's more about what are you seeing right now is way more important on ladder uh, than it is what do everyone else, what does everyone with, really, what does everyone with a platform say that is strong? And that's very different from what you're going to experience on the ladder yourself. Yeah, However, where are you at? Where are you I, at specifically? I'm going to make a dark horse pick here. Okay. And it's not a deck, but it's a card that I think might make a return. And that's Rasa. Mm. I still think Rasa is quite good. And I also think Rasa is pretty good when there's champions that need killing. Um, and... Uh, yeah, I just, I mean, Ross is up to eight mana. But I tell you what, people are still playing Ladros in a lot of things. Yeah, Ladros you know, is still very good. Ladros is still very, very good. Um, I I still think Rasa, even though it got that mana bump and that's rough, still think Rasa's playable. Uh, and I don't think it's going to be great right now, but I think it is primed for a return, um, especially considering we have this new uh shadow isles character that creates ephemerals every turn yes um so stay tuned yeah stay tuned for part two of this episode i'll make one other dark well and it's not really a dark horse pick i'll make one other prediction and that is that just ionia um ionia frail order ionia something else elusives until they really rework elusives every time they print an elusive it's going to give chances for elusive to just find its way back up to the top and it that's actually not even that's not even completely true. Anytime they print hand buff or deck buff, uh, it also gives elusives a chance. Hand buff, deck buff, or anytime um P and Z becomes less popular. Because P and Z is the major yeah. combatant because it can just ping off and remove the elusives. And because it has Heimerdinger to play at 3-1 elusives. Anytime PNZ becomes less popular and isn't in the meta and isn't in control, anytime they give hand buff print new elusives or deck buffs. Any of that can make elusives really strong again and make another strong resurgence, which um, I, I I honestly expect to see that happen. Like, that wouldn't yeah, surprise that's me. That's probably an easy bet. Yeah. That wouldn't surprise me even a little bit. I, I think it probably will happen at one point or another. I don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I think it probably will happen for sure. Yeah. All right, so... Okay. Uh... That's well, all. That's that's our questions. Yeah, that's our questions. I want to remind. Always feel free, like yeah. Always feel free, like you guys can ask in the podcast Q and A discussion, um, and we'll try to work those into the episode. Absolutely, yeah. So in our Discord, you can go there by clicking the link in the show notes, and you can join our Discord there. Even if you don't use Discord, a lot of the folks in our Legends Cast Discord did not use Discord before they joined our our Discord, um, and they have found that it's just a really good place to have community. I know a lot of people are actually using it seemingly like chatting in it a little bit less during the quarantine but i think that we'll see a resurgence of that especially with the expansion that is coming out here soon the other thing that you can do is you can join our april giveaway of a legends cast 
hat black snapback hat, which we did order. So they are ordered and they should be here in a couple of weeks with a Golden Legends cast logo across the front of it. All you have to do to enter to win that is leave us a five-star rating and review over on iTunes. I know that some of you guys are Android users and you're having a really hard time doing that. And I'm really sorry about that. I don't really have any creative solutions for that. But if you would leave us a five-star rating and review over on iTunes, we'll put you in the drawing in April to win and ship you out a Legends cast hat. Um, let's wrap up this episode, but we will add any additional stuff at the end of part two, maybe coming out later this upcoming week. Um, so to find me someplace, you can go to twitch.tv slash the lift. I stream our dungeon and dragons and RPG games there. I do a little bit of streaming of legends of Runeterra ESO, which is elder scrolls online and team fight tactics. It's the best way place to get plugged in with me other than our discord, which I, I do check repeatedly throughout the day, so you can always get a hold of me through our Discord. How about you, DBN? How people find you? I know you put out a couple of recent videos. Yeah, and I'm hoping to get another one out uh, this weekend. Um, I did post a video on Ephemerals uh, with Shadow Isles, um, and I also had one on a Pursuit of Perfection with the Catastrophe. Very fun. Uh, yeah, you can find me at... Uh, dead broke nerd on youtube as well as on twitter um i have a twitch page as well but considering i'm not streaming right now i'm, I'm not gonna plug that but you can probably do the math and it's probably the same name you can um, find it yeah you can probably find it if you want uh but yeah do uh, i definitely just want to bump that like if you guys want to get in touch with us if you're bored in quarantine uh a great place to find people to play games with uh, is our discord page we've got a looking for matches um kind of section we also have smaller uh kind of channels within our discord for some of the other games that are consistent you know members of the discord play so if you're looking for someone to play some myth guard with or some league of legends or whatever you can always jump in there ask around and i'm sure somebody will be able to, to join you and then of course feel free to share your thoughts opinions on things as long as everyone stays you know polite and respectful uh, we do love to hear what you guys are thinking, what you guys are doing uh, and up to in quarantine uh, and uh, cool, goofy ideas and stuff. Pictures of your dogs. We love it all. All uh, of it. So, all yeah, of it over there. Always, we, we're always happy when somebody else uh, new joins the Discord. And um, yeah, definitely feel feel free to jump in and say hi. We like to chat. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's going to about wrap it up for uh, this uh, Legends cast season two, episode 11, part one, which is way too much of a title. Um, but we are going to release a part two later this week. So make sure that you tune in for that where we are going to look at and review um, all of the new cards that have been released up until uh, right before the Noxus cards have been released. So we're going to be looking at the Shadow Isles and the Frail Yord cards later this week. And until then, thank you so much for listening and be sure to come back and listen to us soon. Thanks for listening to Legends Cast. This episode was made possible by listeners like you. If you want to become a supporter of the show, visit patreon.com slash legendscast or leave a rating and review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts.